When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Taking Care of Lady Business podcast, where we're going to put the business back into lady business. Um, we're here today with Helen Mumford Soul from Mumford Soul Executive Coaching. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for asking me, JJ. Of course. Um, so, in full transparency, Helen is also my executive coach, and she helped me tremendously in two major um, transitions of my life in finding, you know, different um, career pivots or purpose, et cetera. So I know, and everybody knows that a lot of times for women in particular, confidence plays a massive part in what we ask for, what we go after, what we get, you know, maintaining what we have. And so I thought it would be really great to have her on to talk about all these things. But first, I want um, some background on her. Um, So Helen, can you give us a little bit like a short history of your very long career? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Any place you'd like me to start in particular? No, I mean, you know, you can just kind of gloss over where, you know, you kind of started because I know that you were in these really big roles, right? And then you decided, yeah, I think there was one one time you were telling me, telling, well, you were speaking and it was like how you were at the top of your game, but you were like miserable. Oh, yeah. Okay. So before I got into coaching, which was about uh, 11, 12 years ago now, before that, I had done a series of kind of big jobs as well as startups. And one of those big jobs that I did, I was the CEO of LexisNexis in the UK. And prior to that, I'd gone to that actually from being in Gartner, which is a big tech research company. And um, I'd done some big stuff with them. You know, I'd run all their businesses in Europe and um, I'd run one of their five global um, you know, kind of business units. They had acquired a company that I co-founded with venture capital money. And so it goes on, right? So imagine all these nice things happening. And I woke up one day and I really thought I'm not happy. And I kind of, I felt very undeserving at that point. I felt that I should have been full of gratitude for all these great things were ha- that were happening. But I just knew in my soul that um, I was living someone else's dream, essentially. And what I thought, what I did actually was that I went out and I bought a book because, you know, you sort of think I can take care of this. I'll just go read a book and that's going to fix everything. I was like, yeah. Oh, and anyway, I bought this book and I ended up, 
actually becoming something of an expert at happiness and um, teaching happiness over at the new school to undergraduates. And I also started working in that area in business. But alongside all of that, I was also building this executive coaching business, which now I'm happy to say we've got 26 coaches in the US and in um, Europe. Um, we work on all kinds of things. We work um, with in the C-suite with very senior people, men and women, at leadership development, all the issues that, you know, that are going on for people who are operating at that level. We have a specialism in high potential women as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do big diversity programs. Uh, we do, you name it, we do it one-on-one or we do it uh, programmatically. Mm-hmm. And all of that really came out of that morning when I woke up and I thought, I'm not happy doing all these things that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And that was quite a transformational moment in my life. Yeah, that's insane, right? And then, I mean, what was that next step there? Like, I'm not happy you bought a book. And then how did you find what happiness was? Uh, well, okay. So, I mean, it's a lifelong quest to say that I yeah. really worked all yeah. of that out. True, just when you think you've got it, yeah. you know, you kind of move on a little bit further. So, um, what I found was this is the most important thing that happiness is something that we can manage ourselves, right? It's up for grabs. So, it's not something that we're born with. It's not something that happens as a function of our circumstances. So, you know, that idea of, oh, you know, if I just move into my perfect apartment, or if I just find my perfect partner or any of that or my perfect job, it's none of those things. Happiness is not about our circumstances or that kind of external stuff. Mm -hmm. It's really something that is within ourselves. And the other thing about it is that as soon as we realize that we are in control of our own happiness, then there's a ton of steps that we can take to make sure that we maintain our happiness at a very high level. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's kind of probably be about 100 techniques of which 10 probably work for everybody. And the most important one actually is gratitude, being grateful all day long. And the reason for that is because gratitude, um, when we feel that emotion, this part of our brain lights up. And when this part of our brain lights up, uh, the fear centers go away. Yeah, Fear is a huge inhibitor of happiness, which actually kind of brings us into confidence in some ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're very close cousins. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's put a pin in that because then I want to first talk about like what you do in executive coaching and what that really means, you know, because I think there's a lot of women who, when I tell them, it's like, I didn't, I didn't even know that that was possible, right? To have somebody like help me in that. Like they think therapist and like, you know, so what exactly is executive coaching? Okay. So hard to define. That's the first thing, because one of the most important aspects of executive coaching is that it's all about the person that you're coaching or what it is that they need or what it is that they're not seeing at that time. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing really is you are partnering with someone, you're meeting them where they are. I mean, literally in their space, you adapt the way you think, the way you are speaking, the language that you use so that you can have this really easy exchange with them. doesn't mean you don't ask difficult questions because you do, but the essence of it is that you are really trying to, um, or what you're, what you, what you're doing is you're helping them to achieve the best possible version of themselves, Mm -hmm. the best possible performance, the best possible mindset, whatever it is that is their issue of the day or their longer term issue. Mm -hmm. And you're bringing tools and techniques into that so that they are equipped to be and do whatever it is that they want to do at their highest potential. 
And it all really is focused, though, in the business life and professional life, right? Yeah, it is. So, well, it is for the kind of coaching that we do. So I would say um, we probably spend 80% of our time working in the business area of someone's life, their career, um, you know, their businesses, uh, what they're starting up. But, you know, there's always about 20%, sometimes more than that, because there isn't really a separation between our business lives and our personal lives. And therefore, we have to sometimes sometimes get into that personal life bit and what's going on there mm-hmm. to understand what the impacts are between the two. Right. And so you said that you work with high potential women. What does that mean? Okay. So this can be, okay, that is really a reserved word for, uh, you know, corporations. And yeah. that is those women that they have identified that are typically below the C-suite, maybe one level or two below. And what they see is that they are their senior, senior leaders of the future. And they want to give them whatever development, whatever support that they need in order to make sure that they go all the way. And that's a very forward thinking company to want to step in at that point, because, you know, I think a lot of people think executive coaching is reserved for C-suite, right? And it's like, you're there and like, or they think the opposite, that that it's like for people starting out because C-suite people have it all figured out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing about um, coaching is, um, am I being given a coach because I'm doing something wrong, right? Do I have to really yeah. Thing. So um, typically, coaching is not applied like that these days. It's not a negative thing. It's actually a, a gift to somebody. I was talking to an organization, a large company, a media company, about oh, probably three months ago now, and they're bringing executive coaching down to really their mid-manager level because they say as they look down, and this is particularly around diversity issues, they're saying, yeah. okay, we can see much more diversity in our middle management level than we can at our top level. Where do we have to apply help, assistance, whatever it might be, in order to um, help them to really, you know, well, go the distance? Yeah. And so what are you finding when you back circling back around to the confidence thing is like, what is it that is holding anybody back? Or is it a combination of, you know, women holding themselves back, diversity, anybody in a diverse situation holding like themselves up because they don't believe in themselves or, you know, top down as well, thinking that they're just not high performers, you know? So a lot, it's a big question I just asked. Yeah, it's, well, I mean, it's a huge question really, because there are yeah. so many facets to, so many facets to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when we talk about it, we've all been there, right? So, I mean, we're about to talk about it in the abstract, but this is something I felt and it's something I'm sure that you felt. I know I have felt and I continue to feel, you know, and it's like, and it's like, there's an, it's ever going process. Like it's ongoing and it's something that you have to talk yourself out of all the time when you're beating yourself up and saying, I'm not worthy or imposter syndrome or whatever it is. It's funny though, because I feel like it does really happen, you know, to women way more than men. I was at a, um, a house of one of the biggest tech founders. We all use the service and, you know, he's really interested in what I was doing and investing in women. And I said, well, you know, like it was like three guys that had no experience. I was like, did you have imposter syndrome? And he was like, of course. He goes, but I said, have you ever admitted it? He goes, no. He's like, oh, I'm feeling very vulnerable. And like an imposter said, no man ever to another man. And I was like, okay, that's like, it was really interesting. You know? That's right. I mean, it's, it's true that um, men do feel 
a lack of confidence at certain times in their life. But I think it's a whole different scale to the confidence issues that women feel. Yeah. Um, so the kinds of things that I hear, you know, so this is from my um, yeah. clients, the, the women that I coach, can be anything from, well, so I was talking to um, I was talking to this a particular person. She is super successful. However, you look at her, you would probably know her. Mm-hmm. And I'd say I'd speaking to her a couple of weeks before, and I said, "So you know, how's it been going?" And she said, "Well, she said it hasn't been so great the last two weeks." She said, "Because I've been feeling really fat, and when I feel really fat, I find it really hard to perform at my highest level." Mm-hmm. So it's one kind of aspect of you know, what is it? There's something about our physicality that we bring into our confidence levels. Said no man ever, right? I mean, not quite, yeah. but, you know, along those lines, yeah. along those lines right? Yeah. Um, that's one thing. And, and, you know, this is to do with the trick that her mind was, was playing. I mean, clearly she was actually no different than she was the week before, but this was how she was feeling. Yeah. Um, that was impacting her confidence. We, I had um, uh, another one. This is just in the last couple of weeks. And this uh, woman, she had two potential opportunities in front of her. And one was a massive step up. And one was a step to the side to do something interesting. But it was a step to the side. And I'm saying, so, you know, which one are you thinking about? And she said, well, she said, if I went for the step up, she said, I'm a bit bothered because all my team members would now, I would now be their boss. And I think that that might be awkward and, you know, maybe not right. set me up first. She said, but if I go over there, I think it'd be quite interesting. And then at some point in the future, I could progress. It's like, okay, let's just have a look at this. Yeah. Now, not everybody has to feel that they have to kind of target their stars. But the reason she was saying that was because of a lack of confidence. She yeah. saw a problem and she felt I, she would sooner walk away from that problem than do it. And this is a, you know, you would think of her as being a confident, successful woman. But it's that little inner voice saying, I won't be liked. My colleagues might not like me. This might not be as easy as I want it to be. And then, um, you know, there's job applications. You know, I mean, we all know the story that, you know, a man and a woman look at a job spec and a man thinks, yeah, I'm going to go for that, even though he's only got 60% of, you know, what they're asking for. He says, yeah, I've got everything. I can go for that. And a woman looks at it and thinks, oh, my God, I'm so not qualified for that. Exactly the same competencies. I see that all the time. You know, right. especially at the moment, post-COVID, there's a whole load of turnover of um, of people, lots looking for new jobs. So interesting to see what's going on in the minds of men and women. Men are like, yeah, this is my next big step. Women are like, yeah, this is my next big step. But, oh, my goodness, how should I write my resume? Can I really say that about myself? Right. You know, how can I, you know, in, even making introductions is difficult, you know? Right. I Yeah, I have found that too, like when I want an introduction, I have to, uh, you know, write a treatise on why I can get the introduction. And it's like, it's business. Like, even if it's bad, it's better that they hear it from me than somebody else. So it's been like, yeah. So when you're hearing all this stuff, what, what do you do? What are, you know, what, what do you say to these women? Like, how do you snap them out of it and get them into a place of confidence? (laughs) Okay. So, um, There's a few things, many things, actually, depending on what it is that's coming up. So 
One of them is I find that uh, women have lots of self-limiting beliefs, you know, and these are things that we hold and we may be conscious of them or we may not be conscious of them, but actually they limit how we see ourselves and they limit our kind of energy for moving, moving forward. And that is that little inner critic, you know, the one that says whatever the language, whatever is the one that impacts you, it's the one that says you're not good enough, right? You're not good enough for this. And the, the antidote for the inner critic, first of all, an acceptance that it's there, you know, that yeah. inner critic is not us and it's not real. It's just something. And yeah. um, the antidote is um, to think of why that inner critic is not right. So it's when is a time that we were successful? When is, who is somebody we know who's like us, who can do this? When was a time that we had that inner critic in our head and we didn't take any notice of it and things worked really well? So it's kind of one of the steps is to use logic to say, I am good enough and I know I'm good enough because I've done these things in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, the big, biggest indicator of future success is past, past success. And our inner critic doesn't notice past success in the way that we do. So that's that kind of logical side to it. A more emotional side to it is actually just to kind of visualize what might be successful at that time. Now, visualization, it sounds like it's a mental exercise, and it can be. Some people are really good at just closing their eyes and imagining the success that they want. And that puts them into the frame of mind for it. It closes off that inner critic. It literally kind of puts us into a different place. For other people, that's more difficult. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have to muscle your way into visualizing it. So if you were thinking of an interview, let's say for a job, you might start to think if you can't visualize it, you might think, okay, when someone asks me this question, what am I going to answer? When I walk into the room, how am I going to walk in? When I shake their hand, how am I going to be? All of those things just help you to visualize the success that you might want. So there's the whole inner critic piece of it, you know, here's another one. And this is to do with how we handle success and failures. So I'm about to make a sweeping generalization. exceptions of course in general if something goes right for a woman she thinks okay this thing has gone well for me if something goes right for a man he's much more likely to think i'm really good at everything right (laughs) i'm really good so he doesn't think i'm just good at this thing he kind of thinks this makes me good at this makes me successful so they get so sort of men are more likely to see things as being pervasive, whereas for women, it's just kind of that one thing. On the flip side, if something goes wrong for a woman, she doesn't think it's that one thing. She thinks it's everything, whereas a man is more likely to think if something goes wrong, oh, well, I didn't do that thing very well. So in wow. other words, we take successes less personally and we take failures much, much more. Right. I've heard the other things. I've never heard that before, actually. That's um, very interesting. Yeah, because we'll beat ourselves up for and like we're just worthless and we yeah. shouldn't have done it. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Um, and, like, did you realize that through interviewing or is there like data research behind all of that or it's just like your experience? It's. So that's an observation, you know, that's really observation of of how it is. So, you know, yeah, that's an observation. But it's if you think about it, I mean, I don't want to ask you a personal question in this in this kind of moment, but I think most of us could sort of visualize that. So um, what were we going with that? Um, No, just you were saying that that's an observation that you had 
yeah, had yeah. over the years and working with, with women. So it can, I mean, it can set you back, right? A lot. Oh, no, oh, no question. I mean, no question. Because, um, I mean, I can, think, I can think of a failure in my own life where something didn't go well. And to this day, even while I'm talking to you now, this is years ago, this is 25 years ago, you know, and years, and if I go back to that place, as I just did do, I can feel that, that kind of, oh, ah, right. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like it brings down my energy in that moment. So the key thing is, is that, you know, really, if something doesn't go well for us, it's just another data point, you know, it's just another piece of feedback. We are very, um, we are very malleable, our careers are very malleable, our brains are very malleable. So a failure is not a fixed thing. We don't have to see it as something like a block of concrete that's getting right. in the way of everything. It's just something that happened. It's just a little bit of feedback for us. I mean, I would never say ignore it, because yeah. it's useful to look at it, but we have to make use of it rather than let, you know, let it get in the way. Right, you know, right. Sure when we go back and we touch it, we don't think, it, we just go back and we think, oh, yeah, not so great. Actually, right. looking at the Olympics recently, I love to hear athletes talking about their performance. Right. Um, you say, how do you run? And they say, yeah, I ran a really good race there. You know, the first quarter was great. I was really fast off the blocks. I did this, 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 and this. And we're all like, yeah, great, world-class athlete. If you ask a woman in business how are you doing? We go through all this self-deprecating language. Well, it was quite good. My team, right. it's good to share the credit, you know. But, you know, we, so if we find it very difficult to do the business equivalent of that Olympic athlete, why is that? I love to hear women, you know, athletes or tennis players or whatever it might be talking to, right. talking like, here are the facts. No, this that's is, so yeah. true. I guess, yeah. So if you need some inspiration, you can go listen to one of their speeches and they can talk it like, and they can be like, yeah, I did really great here, you know? Likewise, um, if it doesn't go well, they say, yeah, I didn't do a good finish. It's like, yeah, I didn't do a good finish that day. It doesn't mean I won't do a good finish tomorrow. It doesn't mean right. I didn't finish the day before, you know? Um, so there's another observation that I make a lot in women in business and even myself is that, you know, when it comes to our homes and our personal lives, like we don't do our own hair, we don't watch our own kids, we don't do our own nails. When it comes to business, we we want to, we do everything ourselves, right? And it's like, we feel like we're not, I don't, we, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you experienced okay. that? Yeah, yeah. Do I women do. come to you with this issue or do you notice it and tell them like, you need to hire people and experts and Yes. Yes, I do. I, I also do in their personal life, right? So massive kudos to you for doing all, all those things because it's right. It's just kind of, you know, anything. Uh, let me say this right. We should be thinking about anything that we can't do, anything we don't have time to do, or anything uh, that's getting in the way of us doing something higher value. I'm thinking of work now, right? Mm -hmm. Anything that is getting in the way of that, we should think of ways of not doing it ourselves. So there's an element of kind of, it's very common for women to have a um, sort of almost a perfectionist kind of idea, you know? Yeah. And I say two things to that. And one is lower your standards a little bit, right? right. Much better to lower, I mean, seriously, in all yeah. aspects. I mean, really, how how perfectly clean do our homes have to be? Who told us they have to be sparkling every minute of every day? Right. Yeah. And why do you have to do it yourself? And the same goes for the same goes for work. Lower your standards a little bit, and if somebody else can do it, 
let them do it and feel that it's a gift that you you're giving to them lots of you know we all want to have our break we all want to feel useful and we should do that and as a consequence it it elevates us it means that we have the opportunity to do the higher value thinking higher value work the higher value relationship building the higher value dot 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 whatever you want it to be um, but we can only achieve that if we don't think we have to do everything ourselves yeah and it's also like you said it's giving somebody else an opportunity in your organization they are you know they're building new skills new relationships new network and if it's outside like you know so many times i've been hired by people and they're like oh i was like who was doing your agreements before well we were doing it in house oh do you have a lawyer no okay (laughs) there should never be an agreement a contract that you're signing but a lawyer doesn't look at like you know you could be signing away your life exclusivity all of these things and and yeah you know some contracts you can read but there's a lot of you know fine print in there that skill can can see you know that's a slightly different thing. That's when knowing when to bring in a specialist, you know, that's kind of where should you, almost where should you spend your money? If it's your own business, where should you spend your money? And specialists like in exactly the way you just said, Yeah, I agree. You can sign a contract that a lawyer hasn't either drafted or hasn't looked at. No question. Yeah. yeah. And then, then look at it without that, you know? Right. And then what about like, sal- another thing that I get all the time is like, you know, somebody's making 250, but like the guy next to him is making five. And they're like, you know, I'm fine with like this. I'm like, okay, but that's not, like, that's not what you deserve, you know? And they don't want to rock the boat, but it's like, but you deserve that. And if you don't take that, then the next woman that comes up, isn't going to get that. And, you know, do you come across that a lot? And how do you deal with, with that? I do come across that a lot. Um, And I find I do come across that a lot. Yeah, I was going to say, and I find it personally heartbreaking. But I'm just thinking of any of the people I coach are listening to this conversation. I don't want them to. I'm heartbroken. But but personally, that's how that's how I feel about it. And I do. And I see um, if you have a look or what that costs a woman over a career. So it might look like, you know, 20,000 today. You know, it's 20,000 this year. Okay, if I net that out, maybe that, I don't know. You can kind of rationalize it. But if you take that 20,000 and you think about what that means compound over a whole career, because it means you'll get less money for any next raise, it may, all right. of that, it literally amounts to millions over a career. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Millions, which is retirement money. Millions which of dollars. Retirement money. I mean, it's just left on, and it's left on the table most of the time. It really is. Here's the key thing. And I say this about many, many of the things that women hold back from asking for in a personal negotiation or, well, in a personal negotiation. And that is, it's going to feel uncomfortable. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. You have to find a way to deal with that discomfort. And the way of finding of the way of dealing with it is to accept it's going to feel uncomfortable. And yeah. you just go in and you make your case and your case is strong and someone's going to say yes or no to it. And if they say no, you know, you either accept that or you think, what am I going to do next time? When's the right time for me to bring this up again? But the likelihood is that they'll say yes. I would say of the, of the, the kind of uh, examples of this or the cases I've worked with this, all women have to do is ask. Yeah. And they 80% of the time, 85% of the time, they get it. So another way of looking at it is 
women will tell you why they don't want to ask for it, why they don't deserve it. It's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, I haven't quite been working as long as him or I haven't been in the company that well or he knows, blah, blah, blah. And I always say, why are you negotiating with yourself? Yeah. Right. Let the other person negotiate with you. Don't negotiate yourself down. And the other part to this, and this is so true of everything, uh, I compare it with yoga, right? And um, I had this great yoga teacher. We lived in Hawaii for a while, and I had this great yoga teacher while we were there. And um, I used to do yoga for two hours a day, six days a week, right? I was never very good at it, which I understand is not the point, but nonetheless. (laughs) And I said, oh, this really hurts. You know, I'd really put my back into it. And um, my yoga teacher said, yeah, it hurts me too when I do it. Good pain, obviously. She said it hurts. She said, that will be true for yoga all the time. And that means that you're going to your edge, you're going to the limit. And if it's if you're not feeling some of that pain in yoga, then you're not going to the edge, right? Yeah. So therefore, go to it. And I was saying, oh, yeah, that's how this should be, right? So if, you, if you're feeling very comfortable in your negotiation, then you probably haven't quite gone to the edge, right? Yeah. And I'm not I'm not saying do this to kind of, you know, cut your nose off to spite your face. You know, we all have to get skilled at this. But the reality of it is go go to the edge, you know, go to and the edge means to the point of your discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Great advice. Speaking of advice. So I know that you have other things to do. So um, this is like our last question. um, And I ask everyone this. um, What is the worst advice you've ever had? Okay, so the worst advice I've ever had, um, I've actually had a lot of bad advice in my life. (laughs) I mean, haven't we all, though? Isn't that true for all of us? Yeah. Okay, so one piece of bad advice was, it was actually choosing between jobs, and I probably went for the wrong one. I mean, I think these things net out, right? But that was the one that probably cost me two years of my career and probably, well, a lot of money in the in the course of that. So that's probably the worst advice. But the other piece of advice I think came very early on, and it was to do with uh, likability, really. And likability, I think, dogs women, you know? I, yeah. think to, I think we have to be very careful with it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's right, and you know, but I think we have to be careful with likability. Um, but this came from somebody, and, you know, at school I was, you know, I was a clever girl at school. See how hard I said I found that to say? Yeah. I was a clever girl at school. It's like, yeah, yeah okay. So it's a clever girl at school. And um, uh, someone was asking in the class who was good at something. The teacher was saying, who's good at whatever it was, let's say a French verb or something. Who's good at French verbs? And I put my hand up and uh, the person next to me said, uh, don't ever do that again. That will just make people dislike you. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. There you go. <laughs> God. 14, 14 years old, maybe 13 years old. I don't oh know. How long did that stay with me for, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's bad advice. And then it also just goes to show it's like, even though you're doing this, like you still struggle with it. Like, and, you know, so no one is immune to it, no matter how um, successful. Um, we just all have to work on it. It's so yeah. it's a work in progress all the time. Yeah. And we just, anytime we feel, unconfident we shouldn't lean away from it we should lean into it right because our brains are like muscles they are not fixed and the more we get used to the feeling of lack of confidence and knowing what to do about it the better we are at managing it true True. that's the truth yeah well thank you so much um if anybody wants to find you how can they find you and hire you 
So if they can go to my website, it's www.mumfordsoul.com. That's what I love Mumford and Sons, the band. They've made my name spellable. So it's like Mumford and then soul.com, right? I love it. I know it is so close too. Well, thank you everybody um, for showing up for this edition. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Lady Business with Helen Mumford Soul. Um, Let us know what you like, give us comments and anything um, else that you want to hear about. Um, I'm Jennifer Justice.